Encounter Church. My name is Chris Causey. I'm so glad that you are here today. If this is your first time, um, I'm the lead pastor, and um, today is kind of an exciting day, and we'll jump into why I have a feeding trough behind me in a few seconds, in case you're wondering, why is there a feeding trough behind him? Um, if you're not, now you're wondering, why is there a feeding trough behind him? <laughs> um, so today we're going to be wrapping up a series that we began in January uh, called Chasing Purpose. And uh, through that kind of series, we've talked about really making this year a year that becomes not just a new chapter, but, oh, sorry, uh, not just a new chapter, but a whole new storyline for your life. And before I jump in, though, I want to tell you about one of the things that we're doing right now that I think can actually be a really powerful part of seeing your storyline shift, which is through prayer. Now, prayer is one of those things, if we're being really honest, we... Um, all think it's kind of important, like even when I meet people who don't have any faith construct at all, like I've never had someone say, please don't pray for me, if I've asked them, can I pray for them, right? Like there's just, man, if, you know, so I'll take any help I can get, like if there's some kind of cosmic being, or if there is some kind of like Marvel celestial up there, and you can talk to them, great, I'll take it. Um, and so, I, but I've watched in my own personal life, in my own Christian journey, I've seen God do incredible things. In fact, I could spend the next hour doing nothing but telling you prayer requests I've seen answered in the last six months, okay? Um, and so, for me, it's really important. I want to help you grow in what oftentimes, if we're being really candid, feels like just talking to ourselves. I don't know if you've ever prayed and it just feels like, I think I'm talking myself, not to, to God, and um, so in order to do that, we've created inside of our app, uh, we're taking this like 28 days of February because don't want to be overwhelming. I just really kind of want to give you a, like an onboard to, to trying prayer. And this idea is over the 28 days of February, spend one minute at 1 p.m. every day praying for one thing, right, which is like very manageable. Um, no matter who you are, you've got a minute where you can Pray for one thing, because all of us have at least one thing we want to see happen in our life in 2022. If you do not, please talk to me after. I have some things that I would love for your help with in my own personal life, right? But this one thing, 1 p.m., one minute, and but here's where it gets fun for me, and it's been cool watching this. Inside of our app, um, that icon that says 28 Days of Prayer, if you click it, there's a short video of me. If you want to learn how to pray even deeper, have a little bit more vibrant prayer life, there's a five-minute video where I walk you through how I pray regularly and one of the ways that's really helpful for me in my own personal journey. But there's a tab underneath the video um, saying pray for one another because the idea is not just praying for your one, but let's pray for another one's too. And here's where it's cool. So we've in our app, we've created this um, icon that allows you that tab. You'll see other people's prayer requests. And we keep it anonymous. I'm the only one on the back end who is seeing this. So if you've got something that you're like, I don't want people to know that I don't like my husband and I wake up in the middle of the night periodically wanting to stab him or, right, like if that's your prayer request, I may have to forward that on to the cops, but I'll keep it anonymous on the prayer wall for you, okay? Um, no, I won't forward it on to the cops. However, if something happens, there's a knife involved in the middle of the night, like that might be incriminating evidence for you, Okay. But this is really cool, and what's neat is when you pray, you click that little blue button that says, I prayed. Um, it alerts the person because they have to put their email address in. And so um, I've got a prayer request on this list. Or I think there's like 20 of them. And so I, every day, get multiple times a day, 
um, people saying, hey, I've prayed for you. They don't know they're praying for me. They just clicked the I prayed button because they prayed, and it alerted me. And some of you who are doing it, you're, you're seeing the same thing. And it is really, really cool how that system's been designed, and it's working, and it's all magical, and it's underneath in the backdrop. So if you haven't leaned into this, you're like, oh, my goodness, that sounds like just another item on a to-do list. It is not. One minute, 1 p.m. every day, pray for your one thing and someone else's. And you don't have to pray through the entire list. I think it's up to like 20-plus people now. You don't have to pray for them. Just pray for one or two. Um, I heard from someone yesterday who told my wife, hey, that new 28-day prayer, um, they're trying to find a new house. They've got a kind of a housing situation that's popped up pretty quick on them. They're like, I get emails multiple times a day from people who are praying for me. And I can't tell you how encouraging that is for us right now as we're trying to figure out where do we go next. And so don't discount your prayers um, to God, but even the power of your prayers on encouraging someone else in their circumstance, okay? Really cool. Just want to let you know we've got that. Um, And to that, I want to jump in. And today, I want to kind of, uh, it'll be a little bit of a different message um, in that I want to in some ways, give you a little bit of an explainer to why, why we have a horse trough back here, okay? Um, and to do that, I want to take you on a journey through a story that maybe if you grew up in church, you've been exposed to. If you grew up going to church as a child, no doubt you're familiar with this story because there's a song attached to it that is an earworm that gets in and just drives you insane. Um, heads up, if you have a toddler, they're actually singing this song today, so you're welcome in advance for that experience. Um, It's a story found in Luke chapter 19, and the thing that you need to know about Luke 19 as we're diving into it is Luke, who is a biographer on the life of Jesus. So there's four biographies written about the life of Jesus. Um, One of them is written by a man named Luke, okay? So there wasn't marketing back then. They didn't have to sit around and come up with clever titles to sell books or to kind of promote a book. Um, It was like, who wrote it? Luke. Okay, great. Let's call it Luke, right? Um, Luke actually wrote two volumes. Um, The first volume is named after him. The second volume is named after the church called the Book of Acts. Luke was a historian. He was a medical doctor. He was essentially the Ken Burns of his day. He wanted to kind of document this movement known as Christianity that was playing out. And so he interviewed people. He spent time with Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, Um, listening to them, telling, getting them to kind of tell their stories and putting it into writing. And so I I like Luke because in many ways, Luke is like watching an ancient Netflix documentary, okay, about the life of Jesus. Um, And Luke was written for a broad audience. Um, So it's, it's a little bit more easier to understand than maybe like Matthew was written predominantly for a Jewish audience. And so there's a lot of Jewish motifs and a lot of Jewish um, illustrations in there that can be easily missed in the 21st century as a reader. Um, And so in Luke 19, it is the, almost towards the end of the book, this is three years into Jesus's ministry, and Jesus is headed up to Jerusalem, where in about a week and a half, he's going to be crucified. So this is the height of his popularity, which is why in Luke 19, we see Jesus enter Jericho, which is 20 kilometers from Jerusalem. So he's almost there. And this is going to be the place where he, he is crucified. And it was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, this is the third year, because it's really important to understand this is the height 
of Jesus' popularity and prominence. Okay, this was a pre-Twitter, pre-Instagram kind of day. It took a little bit longer for things to go viral. Things didn't spread as quickly. Um, things happened in months, not hours. Right? The world we live in is more connected than humanity has ever been connected. In fact, the Omicron variant was one of the fastest spreading viruses in human history. November 11th, Botswana first detected case. By um, this week, it has infected about 2 billion people. There's never been any document, documented virus spreading to 2 billion people in just a few months. And the reason why is because we live in a hyper-connected world where something, a video can be taken on the other side of the world that appears in your Facebook feed this afternoon. But in this day and age, things moved a little slower, and three years is what roughly it took for Jesus to become as famous and as viral as anyone could be in that day. Everyone had heard of him, had heard about him, had, and at that point, they were starting to get curious, which is why Jesus is passing through Jericho, part of a huge group of people, and there's a massive crowd following him, and everyone wants to see Jesus. Everyone. This is, in some ways, uh, kind of the equivalent of Beatlemania, okay? Like, when the Beatles first came to the U.S., like, people lost their mind, right? They were like, oh, my goodness, that's the Beatles. Why? Because they'd seen the television. They'd, they'd heard the songs, right? They, they'd caught some of the, like, there's this group of guys in England who were upending the music scene. And so when they finally arrived, the whole... United States was like, okay, we want to see them. And this is essentially what's happening for, for Zacchaeus. He really wants to see Jesus. He wants to, to kind of get caught up and to, to have a face with the name. And so he does what you would think. He says he climbed a sycamore tree, a sycamore fig tree specifically, which is not native to the U.S., this is a rough picture of one actually in Israel. Um, and what you'll notice about the sycamore fig tree is the branches are really low. It says Zacchaeus is short. Um, in the first century Palestine, which is where this is playing out, the average adult male grew to five feet tall. So Zacchaeus is in the four-foot range. Okay, So Zacchaeus probably would not have been able to ride most of the rides at like a Six Flags or a Disney. Okay, you know, the ones that you really look forward to, like a Tower of Terror. Okay, Zacchaeus would not have made that cut. But he really wants to see Jesus. He can't see through the crowd. So what does he do? He climbs the sycamore fig tree so that he can see over the crowd's head. And somewhere in the midst, see Jesus. Now, you need to know that right before this passage, right before that sycamore fig, it says that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector and was very wealthy. Now, in the ancient world, using ink, using paper, like the papyrus style they used, like every word was intentional. Like you, you didn't have people just tweeting random statements that made, had no significant value. Paper writing was so expensive that you really didn't waste your words. And so Luke, being a historian who's documenting, is very intentional about the word selection, and he does something that's unique. He says that he's the chief tax collector. That's what the, it gets translated into English from the, the language of the day. And he was very wealthy. 
Now, if you're living in that day, you hear tax collector, you automatically assume wealthy. It's like, here he's an NFL player. I don't need to say he's an NFL player and he's very wealthy because you assume. But if I'm like, here's Tom Brady, right? He's a retired NFL player and he's very wealthy and his wife is even wealthier, right? Like, there's, because I'm, I'm trying to emphasize something that, yeah, he's part of a group, but he's actually, he stands out in that group. And actually what Luke does is he uses a word that's not anywhere else in the New Testament. The, it gets translated the word chief, but it's really not. It's, it's, it's more significant than the word chief tax collector. Like, Zacchaeus is like the head guy for Jericho. He's the one who is the CEO of this tax enterprise. And so he has tax collectors working for him, which means he's at the top of this pyramid scheme. He is making a lot of money. And so for him to climb the tree, I want you to understand, it's a lot like you walking down the street and you look up and Jeff Bezos is in a tree looking down, trying to see who's in the center of the crowd. Like, you would be like, that's weird. That's Jeff Bezos climbing up in the tree, right? You'd be like, that's a little bizarre. That's not normal. This is Zacchaeus. Him climbing the tree, everyone there would have recognized him the way that we just recognized Jeff Bezos. And the first word, maybe there's a lot of other words that come to your mind, but the first word is like, that, that dude could have bought that tree. Or like build a scaffold. Like he's got money. So it would have just been a bizarre curiosity. You'd be like, huh, Jeff Bezos is in the tree. And people would have been like, Zacchaeus is in a tree. Why? Because coming down the road is a cloud of dust with a huge group of people all focused on one person in the middle, Jesus who for three years has built, proclaimed, performed miraculous things, and they all want to see him. And this has to be like understood for us to appreciate what happens and the weight of what happens in the story after this and how it intersects with this whole idea of chasing purpose. Because Zacchaeus, something's going on inside of him. Something's happening inside of his head Maybe it's curiosity, but maybe there's something more. Because Zacchaeus is someone who, for him to climb that tree, exposed himself to even more ridicule. He's a tax collector. He's not popular. He's a little bit of a social outcast. But he's got everything he ever wanted. He's got all the money. He's got all the power. You should know that tax collectors, the way it worked, was the Roman Empire, who was the uh, kind of the oppressive controlling regime for the day, for Israel, would hire a group of people. So I would come to this side of the room and I would say, hey, you're all Jewish, um, but here's the thing. I, I want you to collect 5% taxes for me and then give me the 5%. Well, now you're, you're going to say, well, where's my money? And they're like, I don't care. Well, can we charge 6%, 7% and keep one or two? I don't care. I just want my five. So then you would go to this group and say, hey, we need taxes for the Roman Empire. It's 10%. Now, if you say no, guess what? This group goes back to me as the Roman Emperor, 
And I say to them, well, we should arrest them because they're not paying their taxes. See, the system structurally favored this group of people, and they got an amazing amount of power to exploit you. Naturally, you don't like them because if they decide it's 15%, then you have to pay 15%, and they're keeping 10 And you're watching them get richer. They're watching you get poorer. And all along, they're the same nationality. They're part of the same nation as you are, but they're working for the enemy. So there's this whole, like, tension growing underneath the surface, which is why the story continues. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and he welcomed them gladly. But all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Because they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. A few minutes ago, we thought Jesus was cool. It's like, uh, you know, that moment, this is not a political statement, but this is just an example culturally. It's like when Kanye went to the White House with Trump. Like, there was all of a sudden, like Kanye, we were like, whoa, what's up with Kanye? Right? It's like, I like Kanye. I'm not sure about Kanye anymore, right? This is what's happening. They're like, well, I, I thought I kind of liked Jesus, but now what's, what's happening? Does Jesus know who that is? That's Zacchaeus. And they start to mutter and mumble, like, he's a sinner. He's, a, he's one of those people. He's an outcast. He's worthless. He's vile. He's wicked. He's an exploiter. He is an oppressor. He's a thief. He's a robber. He's built his wealth off our backs. So there's just this tension that steps into the story all of a sudden. Now, you need to know that Jesus saying to Zacchaeus, I want to stay at your house, that's not weird. If I walked up to you, regardless of how well I know you, and I said, hey, I'm coming over today uh, to feed me, right? you'd be like, mm, no. Or, oh, I got an appointment with something far away, not then, right? But in this day and age, there wasn't gas stations. There weren't convenience stores. There weren't McDonald's that you'd pull over on a trip. Hospitality was embedded into that culture. In fact, if you were ever to travel um, into some um, cultures that are still kind of pre-modern or in that transition to pre-modern, hospitality is still a very central part of those cultures. Why? Because the recognition is we have to take care of one another. So if if I don't give you tea, if I don't give you water, if I don't give you food, there's no place for you to get it until where you get where you're going. So this is an, a normal request. Hospitality was baked into first century Palestinian culture. You didn't deny someone. It, people could literally walk up on the street and ask you to practice hospi- hospitality and you were expected to respond. And that was the social contract of the day. So it's not weird that Jesus is asking. It's weird he's asking Zacchaeus. That's the weird piece. And everyone is saying he's a sinner. Now here's where it gets into one of the most powerful gravitational forces in your life and my life when it comes to changing our life. Is that all of a sudden a moment was an iceberg and there was this whole deeper subtext going on. Have you ever had people talk about you? Have you ever had people mutter about you and the choices you've made and what you've done and where you've been? 
You see, I think one of the most powerful things in our life that we often aren't even aware of, like gravity. Right? Until we decided we wanted to get off of this planet, we never wrestled with gravity the way we wrestle with gravity. And if you want to change your life, one of the most powerful forces you're ever going to work against is the narratives about your life. The narratives that people have on your life. Well, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what a good son or a good daughter does. This is, well, this is what you've done before. It's implied that's what you're going to keep doing. The storyline imposed over your life, the storyline that you tell yourself about your life, that is the gravity that often holds us down and keeps us connected and unable to break free of the life that we're in. And this is where Zacchaeus is. All of a sudden, this whole story is shifted in its heaviness and in the weightiness of it. Now it's not just some man up in a tree. Now it's that man with that story up in the tree. And we all know who that man is and what that man has done. And so any idea, any hope for Zacchaeus having some kind of life change almost feels impossible at this point. And I think for some of us, if we're being real, when we've talked this month about chasing purpose and about our lives transforming and kind of stepping into the reason we were created, what keeps us shackled, held down, restrained, trapped, is that we're still connected to the story that we've had before, the choices we've made, the things that have been said about us, the things that people say about us. Narratives are powerful. And it's not just other people telling the story about you. You tell the story about you all the time in your head. Why would you get so upset? Well, that's just who I am. Why would you lash out at me? Well, I had a bad day. Everyone's against me. We do it. We've got these narratives. And they operate invisibly underneath the surface most of the time. And they're shaping our lives. And they get in the way of the storyline that we want to see in our lives today. Well, you know, I'm unfaithful. That's what I'm going to do. Maybe, maybe the storyline, you inherited it because it was tied to your last name. Because that's, that's what Causey's do. That's what the Smiths do. That's what the Browns do. That's who we are. Right? I mean, maybe you're in danger. I, I think this happens in sports. Right? The Patriots, when we lost Brady, all of a sudden the storyline is like, are they no longer going to be winners? And then you had the flip where like this, about a week ago, uh, a storyline of a team who never wins anything, and then all of a sudden the Bengals are in the Super Bowl, and you're like, the world really is ending. Like, it's, this is it. Like, I, I thought the asteroids were the sign, but nope, nope. They're in the Super Bowl. The world is ending in 2022. Right? I mean, it's, because there's a story that we say. They're losers. They never win. Or they're winners. We can't lose. And this is what's emerging in the story. Zacchaeus is a sinner. He's a crook. He's a thief. He's a liar. He can never be anything else. And yet, it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save 
what was lost. And at this point, Jesus, here's the grumblings that people have. Here's the story that people are saying about Zacchaeus. And he uses it as an opportunity with what Zacchaeus does in response to, his recall, to him calling him down to point to one of his central missions of why he came to earth. And in doing so, pointing to one of the human, one of the human conditions that we're all afflicted with. So this morning I was playing with my son and um, I had built this amazing magnetile structure. Like I was really proud of it. Like I wanted to take a picture. That's how proud I was. I am a 40-year-old man and I literally was like, my life's complete right now. Look at the structure. I even built an elevator to go along. I was like, my structure's even ADA compliant. Boom. Like, that's how awesome I build, okay? And then out of nowhere, he's angry because I'm playing with it, and he just wham and destroys it. And I'm like, my kid's a terrorist. He's two years old, and he's a terrorist. But I felt better because then I came across this story, and this was um, – so about five years ago, in the, almost six years ago this summer, they were promoting the movie Zootopia, and a Chinese artist spent three days putting together Lego blocks of um, this character. It was a big part of this display. The morning opens, the store opens, and a toddler comes through, and in one hour does that. And then I realized all toddlers are terrorists. <laughs> but if I'm being real... These are Lego blocks, but we do it with our words. We see someone being successful, we don't like it, and we tear them down. We scroll through their social media feed, we see somebody on a beach, and we're like, how do they even have the money for that? Or fill in the blank. We, we tear down people too. So it's not just the toddlers. What happens is my son just hasn't learned it's socially acceptable yet to do it in that way. And over time, society will teach him there's socially acceptable ways to tear down people. Little snide comments. Well, you've heard, you've heard about their marriage, right? Yeah, it's not good. But I'm really excited for this career promotion. I think it'll be helpful for them. You know, they may need the raise to pay for the divorce attorney. But, you know. We can make these little statements. We can cut down. We can rob and tear down. What Jesus is using in this moment is he's using this opportunity to speak to the human condition, not just about Zacchaeus. This isn't about my son or this Chinese toddler kid who comes through this store, this Lego store in Nigbo. Like, this is about humans and our tendency. And the problem isn't something external. The problem is internal. The problem is, have you ever noticed that you can come home and your kids can do some things or your roommates can do some things or your spouse can do some things and on some days it doesn't bother you and on other days, like, you're so frustrated that they did that? Externally, circumstantially, they did the exact same thing, but today you're angry at them. Today you're frustrated with them. Today you're like, get it together. Why don't you clean your room? And the problem isn't them. The problem is inside of us. 
problem is here. And Jesus is using this moment with Zacchaeus to say, hey, everyone, the problem isn't just with Zacchaeus and who he is. The problem is this all. And he uses this statement that can be lost on us, but that wouldn't have been lost on the, the readers, especially the Jewish readers, when, when they read this book from Luke. It says that today he is a son of Abraham, for salvation has come to this house. He uses all these really rich religious words, but essentially means Jesus is saying, hey, I, I've actually come to do something far bigger than to transform the Roman Empire. I've come to change us from the inside out. I've come to, to what he would say to Nicodemus in another conversation, this other religious leader. He would say, look, what I've come to do is so profound and so transformative that the only way I can explain it to you, it's like who you are on the inside is like born again from above. It's like you're new. And that's how radical the transformation is that Jesus brings. Which is why this is behind me. Because today, right after this message, we're celebrating, during the middle of the song that we're going to sing in conclusion today, we're celebrating baptism. And baptism is a, a physical representation of what spiritually happened this moment that was invisible. It's really hard to see someone's soul. Right? You know, hey, I really like your soul today. Looking good, right? Like, it's really hard to see that. But yet, we all have one. And it finds ways to pop up and attest to us, right? In the ways that, like, as a 40 year old, I still am like, with my 10 year old, I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And my body's like, no, you can't. But the inside, I'm like, yeah, I can. I'm still young. I'm still vibrant. I'm still alive. I've got a feeling when I'm 80, I'm still going to have that same sense because there's a part of me that never feels like it ages. There's a part of me that just assumes that life is supposed to exist forever. Like no animal in the animal kingdom writes poetry that's dark and existential because it's like brooding about the afterlife or wondering what happens next. Like that's something reflective in us because something in us calls out for a world to be different and perfect that calls out for the world to be right and forever. It's the reason death, which is the most given statement. Like, people are like, Texas, death and taxes are the only two given. I'm like, if you live in Monaco, it's not even taxes. Right? It's just death. That's the only given in a human life. Why? Why is the most given thing like breathing so destructive and separative and, and, and weird to us? It's because we were never made for it. That's our soul saying, this isn't right. This is not how it's supposed to end. And Jesus comes and he says, my, the core of my message is I've come to make you new from the inside out. I haven't come to give you behavior modification. I've come to make you new. And that, that is the most incredible part of the story of Christianity. That baptism and you'll hear in a second, we're going to say buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. It's like you're buried with him, your soul is dead, and then like on the third day when Jesus rose, you are coming back to life, and there is something new and true about you that was not new and true just moments before. 
Baptism physically represents that spiritual transformation that happens on the inside that's so profound, that's so incredible. And God in his wisdom knows that that's a really hard thing to grasp, so he's like, I'm going to give them a physical representation of what that looks like. Now, for some of us, we maybe grew up in traditions where you didn't get dunked in a horse trough. Ignore the horse trough. Just pay attention to the method. Like, we're going to submerge you and we bring you up. Why? Because we want to fully represent the death and the resurrection. Every New Testament baptism that exists in the New Testament letters were full submersion. So maybe you grew up and you were sprinkled or you were kind of experienced something as a small child and it was called baptism. That baptism was really more about your parents' faith and their aspirations for you. Because when you were a one-year-old, you weren't like, goo goo gaga, I'm going to be a Christian. Right? That was your parents hoping for you, wishing for you, praying for you. It was an aspirational thing. And what this is, is you making a choice to be baptized. So I want you to just to understand in that moment what, why we do what we do and why the church has been doing it for 2,000 years because it represents the beautiful thing that happens, the thing that makes all of us, regardless of where we are, on the precipice of stepping into a whole brand new story. Because there is newness that comes, and that allows us to chase a whole different kind of purpose. Because when you recognize there's been a transformation, what happens is, right, Zacchaeus realizes, like, Jesus is calling me. God sees me. What I love about the story of Zacchaeus was it was not the story of Zacchaeus trying to get into a tree to see Jesus. It was the story about Jesus seeking after Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not the one looking. It was Jesus who was looking for him. And maybe you feel like your storyline, the life that you've been trapped in, is unescapable, and that's where you are, and this is who you are, and this is all you'll ever be. But the beauty of the Christian message is that does not have to be the truth about you. That there can be something new and different for you. And the invitation to step into a new storyline, which is why Zacchaeus says, God, I will give half of my possessions away to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. It's because Zacchaeus recognizes something on the inside has shifted. The storyline of Zacchaeus up to this moment had been someone who had exploited, who had manipulated, who had built his wealth off the backs of other people. And in a moment, the shift has happened. And now Zacchaeus' story is about a man of radical generosity who gives 50% of everything he's made away. 50%. Right? Like, if someone who had built their back exploiting and manipulating and robbing from others put a press conference today and said, hey, I realize what I did was legally right but was morally wrong and I'm giving half of it away, we would say, man, something's happened on the inside. I mean, that's what the Nobel Prizes were. It was a man who had built an empire off of dynamite realizing, man, my legacy is destruction and death. So I'm going to give my money to an endowment that will forever champion and cheerlead positive, constructive things. Like Zacchaeus is like, and why am I going to keep half? It's because I know I've ripped off some people. So the other half, I'm going to use to give restitution to them. 
and to pay back four times. Like, this gives a scope of the wealth that Zacchaeus had accumulated. Is that he is able, with the second half of this massive fortune, start to pay back people. Zacchaeus steps into a whole different storyline. This next half of his life looks radically different than the, the piece prior to this. And that's why I think we celebrate this today. is because there's still a God seeking and chasing after you and me who's still in the business of transforming our lives no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And he's still in the business of exchanging hope and peace and that our lives can be the exact opposite of what they've been up until this point because who we are are new on the inside. And maybe for some of you today, as you kind of listen to this and you watch baptism, maybe you're like, I want to know more about Christianity. I had never realized that's at the core of the Christian faith. And I want to encourage you, go to EncounterChurch.com forward slash faith. I'll send you a book for free. There's a video where I kind of explain a little bit more about the gospel. There's a chance for you to connect with me because I didn't grow up kind of believing this stuff. I became a Christian in college and out of biochem and theoretical physics, and that was my storyline. And I love working and walking with people who are wrestling through the fundamental questions about life and faith. And it's not pushy. I just want to be there to help address questions that you have because they're legitimate questions. And I would say for those who maybe have stepped into the storyline of faith and are following Jesus, but you kind of looking in the mirror and you're saying, being honest, my life isn't what it's supposed to be and I'm, I feel stuck and now I feel even doubly stuck because like I've already recognized who I am on the inside and what Jesus can do and I've already begun to follow him and now, but my life is over here even though I said I believed over here. And I, and I would just say to you that you're living with a disconnect, not a defeat. The disconnect in that who you are and how you're living is not in alignment. And your, your next step is to get in alignment, to start living reconnected with who you are, right? Like a cat who walks around trying to bark just needs to get more in alignment with who they really are. And this is, this is probably true about some of you. You're living with a disconnect, not a defeat. You are living with a disconnect of the freedom that you could have, of the joy that you could have, of the peace that you could have. Not in defeat to that substance, not in defeat to that, you know, pattern of your life prior to meeting Jesus. You're living with a disconnect. And I'd love to help you with that. And for some of you, if you've never kind of leaned in fully to the Christian faith, one of the things that we have here is called the 112, and that's meant just to really kind of help be a primer for you to understand how to get that reconnect. Because I've been a Christian for over 20 years, and I can tell you sincerely, my life is radically different than who I was. And on the best days, it's because I'm living in alignment with who I am because of what he's done. I'm forgiven, I'm free, I'm secure. I have hope, I have peace, I have joy. And on the worst days, it's when I get out of alignment to the truth about me and I become insecure or th that I start to live in fear because of maybe God's not going to take care of me. And that stepping in alignment. In the 112, I want to help you, give you the knowledge and the tools to do that. Because I believe that all of us, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and illustrated through the story of Zacchaeus, that we can all, Step into a new story as a new person 
and to live out an exciting storyline in our lives that's filled with chase and purpose. And that regardless of who you are today, I hope this helps to set the frame and as we respond with a song today, and as we celebrate baptism today, that you'll see that he is a God who is still a way maker, who is still chasing after, pursuing, redeeming, restoring, reconnecting people to him and his mission and his purpose and to his calling over their lives. Because he's a God who's for you and for you chasing purpose. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of uh, your word, thank you for the storyline of Zacchaeus, not just the story of Zacchaeus, but how you shifted Zacchaeus into a whole different storyline, one marked by generosity and, and faithfulness and love and kindness, not the one that had been marked previous with selfishness and greed. So thank you that you're a way maker, that you're a God who is paving the way. And in this season and in this kind of chapter, as we look to 2022, God, I pray that we would see you do fresh things in our life. Help us to experience and taste purpose this year more than we've ever had before. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to wrap up with a song um, that's simply a declaration of what we saw Jesus do in that storyline. He's a way maker. He's a, he's a God who clears a path, who invites us into a different storyline altogether. And as we're singing and responding about halfway through the song, we've got five people today who are going to be coming up to be baptized, who are going to be physically representing and celebrating the God who makes a way. And so I want to give you permission to clap and cheer during the baptism piece because it is a big deal that he's alive, he's working, he's moving. And he's doing things in this church from kids to adults. And so we're super excited today. But before we get to that point, we want to give you a place to maybe in the course of reflecting, maybe it's saying, God, help me to live in alignment with who you said I am. Or God, maybe, maybe you're real. And I want to know who you are. And whatever that response is, we want to give you that space. So I want to invite you to stand um, if you can. And our team is going to lead us in the song Waymaker. And then I'll be back up in a few minutes to baptize. All right? I worship you. 
noises. You can celebrate, you can clap, you can cheer, yes, because this is a big day. We really believe God transforms lives. Okay, so what I'm going to do is we're going to, I'm going to walk through, we're going to have five people baptized, we're going to have a couple people doing it, um, and so when I call their names out and they come in, I want you to go wild for them, because they can't see you, but I want them to know you are here with them. If you're at home right now online, you have permission to scare your dog and your cat, being like, woo, okay, you have my permission right now to do that and just say it's baptism, it's life change, it's happening. Okay, you want to come over here and watch this, you can. All right, so you've got permission on in home, on site for all of us to do this. So the way it's going to work is um, the first person who's going to come out and baptize is Justin Gifford. Okay, and so Justin is going to be baptizing his son Bennett, all right, which we're really excited for Bennett to be baptized. The first um, few people who are going to get baptized today are kids. One of the things that's true about this church is we are passionate about creating spaces for kids where they wake you up on Sunday mornings and drag you to church. I believe kids should be the alarm clocks on Sunday morning. That should be the place where kids are most loved, they're most encouraged, they're most kind of just thriving. But that should be the environment a church creates for, for Sunday morning for kids. So, um, we make it really clear when we have conversations with kids, this is about your decision. This is about your choice, about your faith. This is not about your parents. And so these kids have made really big decisions. And it's not their parents because their parents have heard me try to talk them out of it or tell them, give them permission to think about it more because this is a significant moment in their life, not just their parents' lives. But we love when a parent is open to it and who would, wants to be a part of that, we want to give them permission to be in the front row seat and being a part because we believe the best spiritual shaper of a child is their parents. And so as a church, that's why, Justin, if you want to come on out, Justin's going to be baptizing Bennett today. Woo! And so um, Bennett got some friends in here and so I just want to can we get some of the loud kid section so I just want you to hear you got you got some friends and some supporters out there and you can't see them but they can see you all right are not mic'd because this is a really emotional experience um, and so we, we want it to be special for them you can see it happening but we want to also give space so if a parent wants to say something as they're dunking in that they have that private moment so next is dallas darnell um, you know dallas if you have a student or if you've had an elementary age kid dallas runs um, our student ministry and so dallas is going to be baptizing two kids today the first kid is ethan hunt um, And so, um, this pulled up for you, sleeps. Okay. Um, and then after Ethan, um, 
Dallas is going to be baptizing um, his son. So for the little kids section, can you, can you show some love again? Yes. passionate about kids stepping into a relationship with Christ and, and, and growing in that relationship. We also be a, believe that the church should be a place where people, regardless of their age, stage, struggle in life, what they're coming out of, what they've done, where they're headed, that this should be a place for everyone to safely wrestle through faith. And, um, and so we, we, we celebrate when adults make that decision, when they step in, because it, let's just be real, as adults, we don't like to admit that we don't have it figured out. And so um, I want you to double your volume for the next two ladies because we just want to celebrate what God is doing in their lives and what he has done up until this point. So the first person um, is going to be Lauren Furster is coming out. And... And so um, we're really excited for Lauren and what God is doing in her life. And um, if you don't need to, you can not have to sit on there if you don't want to. Uh, we have a stool in there for the kids. And so get that out of the way for you. Uh, this thing is a little deeper than it looks. So we have to, yeah, that's perfect. All right. So Lauren, I'm so excited for you for our conversations and what we've talked about, how God's working in your life. And because of your profession of faith, it is my privilege today to baptize you as my sister, as a member of Encounter Church, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried in Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. Awesome. And here's your towel. All right. And last but not least is um, someone who, during the pandemic, uh, discovered the church and is now a part of serving and enabling the kind of the digital production that happens every single Sunday. And so we're really excited. The Linda Valley is going to come out and I get to kind of the same way, just celebrate what God is doing in her life. And, and so maybe if you're watching online today and you're wondering, maybe it's like, what can God do to my life? The first time Linda ever experienced this church was online. 
And, um, and she's just a perfect story of how God can move us from one seat to a different seat and transform our life. And if you ever get a chance, um, Linda makes the screens happen here on Sunday mornings. She facilitates you experiencing and having an encounter with God. And, um, and so it's just been neat to see how that's come full circle. So, Linda, based on all our conversations and because of what God is doing in your life, your profession of faith, it's my privilege to baptize you as my sister. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Good job. I told um, them that if anybody fell, that it was okay because the good news of the Christian faith is that because of Jesus, when we fall, we can get back up again. We can dust it off. We can keep moving forward. We can be good and keep rolling on. And so maybe for some of you to do, that's just the message. You haven't fallen coming out of this thing, but you've fallen in where you are right now. And I just want to encourage you to stand back up and keep moving forward. And it's just a declaration of that right before we leave. We just want to continue to sing and to declare that God is still making a way in their life. God is still making a way in your life. God is making a way in the midst of this crazy year. And that we can all experience a whole different new purpose.